member announcement. We do these on purpose, okay? This isn't to make much of like, uh, look how many members we have at our church. If you've been around, you know this, but uh, we do this because we believe that doing life together in biblical, biblical community is the most important call that we have as a church. And so uh, Casey Cogeshell, where are you? She's here, right here. Um, she is a new member at the branch, so we do a Next Steps class. If you've been coming for a while and you want to learn more about who we are, our next one will be sometime in January. December has some holidays in it, and so we've run out of days to do a Next Steps class. So we'll have one in January. Be on the lookout for that, and um, we're excited. So, uh, Casey, it's good to have you as part of the branch. Uh, second announcement as we begin tonight is a Branch School of Theology. We will be going through spiritual disciplines, um, kind of uh, we use Richard Foster's uh, celebration of discipline um, as our uh, foundation of our night together tonight. However, uh, this is why we're doing this now at the beginning of this riveting sermon that you're about to hear. Uh, it's not going to be here, okay? Uh, that's a last-minute change. We had to move to the BCM house, which is just right up the street. Uh, so don't show up here. Or if you do show up here, show up early enough to where you can realize that there's no one else here and you can make it to the BCM by 5. Okay, so we'll be doing spiritual disciplines tonight at the BCM uh, from 5 to 7. Okay, so bring your Bible, bring a notebook, a pen, and uh, we'll get after it. No food tonight, so if you want to bring food, you can do that as well. There will be child care. All right? Uh, and lastly, um, our Christmas Eve service, because we meet in this building, uh, church gets a little funny around the holidays, particularly when holidays fall on a Sunday. And so uh, we will not gather on Christmas Day, December 25th, or on January 1st. But we will be doing Christmas Eve at Blue Mountain, okay? So that's at 3 o'clock. Uh, we'd invite you to come, bring your friends, your family. And uh, if you've not been to Blue Mountain, that will be a treat in and of itself. Um, but as we gather as the church on Christmas Eve to celebrate uh, the birth of our Savior, we'll be doing that at Blue Mountain. So I hope you'll join us. Okay, I'm going to press go. Those minutes don't count against me, all right? So here's what I want to do. If, if, if you've been at the branch for a while, then this is going to make sense. If you're new to the branch, I'm going to do a little bit of background, okay? So we have been going verse by verse through the book of Exodus. Um, we're 30-something weeks in. We probably have another 30 to go. Uh, we're not quite halfway. We left you, if you'll remember, this uh, past Sunday right at the foot of Mount Sinai, okay? Uh, when we come back together in January, we'll get the Ten Commandments. However, from a church calendar standpoint, and I'm talking about historic church calendar, uh, Advent technically started last week, okay? So um, we are beginning our Advent sermon series today because we needed to finish Exodus 19 in order to leave not a weird gap before we take a break for a few weeks, and uh, we'll dive back in in January. But as we were thinking through this, I thought it might be helpful for me to kind of lay out what is a church calendar. So I'll do that real quick. This is where I get really nerdy. Uh, here's, here's a good rule of thumb. If Stephen wears a blazer on a Sunday, it's an important Sunday. Okay? So if you're wondering, like if you walk in and I'm in just like a golf shirt, it's a normal Sunday. Okay? We call that original time or ordinary time, okay, in the church calendar. If I'm wearing a blazer, there's some sort of specialness to that Sunday. And today is uh, technically the second week of Advent here at the branch. It's week one, okay? So here's what I want to do. The Christian calendar 
which is also known as the liturgical calendar. If you grew up maybe in a church that uses this, this will not be unfamiliar to you. If you grew up in a church like I did, you didn't know the church had a calendar except for you, like VBS, like that was the church calendar, okay? When was youth camp? When was VBS? And then everything else revolved around that. But the, the Christian calendar is an annual schedule that commemorates certain days, okay? And we're in that season right now where we commemorate a day. In fact, we commemorate a series of days uh, and seasons related to the history of salvation, okay? It's not the history of the formation of the church. It's the history of salvation. So listen to what Daniel Hyde says. He, he says this of the church calendar. He said, instead of viewing these days as a part of the Christian's accomplishment of his or her salvation, they viewed celebrating these days as a celebration of the salvation which Christ had already accomplished. For them in his incarnation, which is Christmas, his death, which is Good Friday, his resurrection, which is Easter, his ascendance to the right hand of the Father, which is ascension, and the giving of his spirit, which is Pentecost. They were seen as invaluable times to celebrate Christ and his gospel. So Advent marks the beginning of the liturgical calendar. Uh, Advent begins on the fourth Sunday before Christmas, or here at the branch, third Sunday before Christmas, because we can't meet on Christmas Day. Uh, Advent comes from the Latin word meaning uh, adventus, which means a plural coming, okay? So it means, actually means comings. Um, so when we stop and we pause to celebrate Advent, we're not just celebrating the incarnation of Christ. We are doing that but we're also celebrating the hope, which is, if you've grown up in church, the first sermon in the Advent season is what? Oh, come on, guys, it's the first candle. It's hope, okay? So that's what we're going to do today. Spoiler alert, all right? So Advent begins uh, the liturgical calendar. It comes from the word meaning uh, comings, so plural comings. Uh, our hope is that he comes again, right? So we're still in a season of waning. Even in January, we're still technically in an Advent Okay, we're in a season of waiting for Christ's return. Advent closes on Christmas Day and enters into, you'll love this, Christmas Tide, okay, aka the 12 days of Christmas. No joke, the church celebrates the 12 days of Christmas. It's different than what you think. Uh, Scrooge is not involved. And um, it ends on Epiphany, which is uh, the first Sunday in January. Okay, so then we have an ordinary time again, and then Lent begins on Ash Wednesday. Okay, Lent is probably one that you've heard, Advent is probably one that you've heard of, and it goes from Ash Wednesday until Easter, depending on your uh, tradition that you're coming from. And then Pentecost is celebrated uh, 50 days after Easter. We try to make much of Pentecost here. This is where uh, God sends his spirit to be with the church. And really what we see in the early church, we see this in Acts, this is where the church gets lit on fire, okay? Um, not literally, but figuratively where the church, the gospel is spreading to the ends of the earth faster than people can communicate it, okay? And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. So we celebrate the birth of the Christian church and the giving of the Holy Spirit at, Advent, I mean at uh, Pentecost, okay? So let's do Advent, uh, week one um, on hope. So if you have your Bible, our, our primary text today will be uh, Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, we'll flip around a few times. The words will be on the screen if you, if you can't get there in time or if I'm reading too quickly. But we're going to start in Romans chapter 8. Because if our theme is a theme of hope, then we must first understand what is hope, 
Let's get a good definition of hope, and then we can uh, look back to the prophecy of the birth of our Savior that we see in Isaiah chapter 9. So this is Romans 8. And again, just to remind you that Advent is, that means the coming or arrivals, okay? So Romans chapter 8, verse 24 and 25 says this, For in this hope we, are, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. There is an eager expectation that the church postures itself in Advent. It is, the, if you'll recall, I think there's kids in the room, but that when people start asking you what's on your Christmas list, there is that expectation for Christmas Day, right? Now we've kind of missed the point. We've commercialized it a lot, and that's a sermon for another day. But it's that same feeling that you had as a child, that longing expectation for something big, right? And for some of you, that day was met with great excitement. Maybe for some of you, it was met with disappointment. And therein lies the, the foundation for what Christ is doing, okay? So biblical hope, though, is not about optimism. It's about expectation, okay? And that's the key difference that we have to remember. So before we dive in, to um, Isaiah, I want to give you a few reminders as we do this, okay? The first one is this, that there is something inherently broken in us that we cannot fix ourselves, okay? So what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to paint a broad stroke of the Christian story, okay? So we get caught up into what are we expecting, okay? But there is something inherently broken in us that we cannot fix, and that thing is called sin, the Bible calls sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is the word of the Lord, okay? That is the word of God in the book of Romans. So there's this cloud of darkness that we can't shake, this feeling of anxiety, this feeling of loneliness, this feeling of I'm not measuring up, or this, uh, it kind of goes in two ways, right? There are people who are very self-righteous, and there are those who are unrighteous, Okay, and what Christ has done is He's come and He said the self-righteous and the unrighteous are cannot be righteous. Righteousness is only found in Me. So this cloud of darkness is something that we cannot shake. But Christmas, Christmas tide, Advent, gives us a glimmer of hope. Every year the church pauses what they're doing to celebrate this hope, this hope for the future renewal through Christ's second coming. That is what we're doing. And shame on us for forgetting it uh, as a church and as individual Christians, but this is the reason, <laughs> sorry, for the season. I was praying last night with our kids, and I, I paused for like 35 seconds because I didn't want to say it, and yet I did here in front of you. So my apologies, but I, did, I couldn't afford a 30-second pause here. You can, is he broken? You know? <laughs> All right, the second reminder is this. There is no amount of behavior modification that will clean up this mess that we have made, okay? So hear that. Again, not knowing your church background, what we like to do in church is tell you how to behave, and yet we leave the hope of the gospel behind. And so if that's your story, or maybe there's something that the world is saying, hey, you need to be better at this, or you need to do better at this, uh, that is not the Christian gospel. There's no amount of you changing your behavior that's going to have you measure up to the right hand of the Father. There's only one who could get you there, and his name is Jesus, the incarnate Son of God. And so be, find freedom there. That's not uh, freedom, that's not license, okay? Those are, those are different. One is freedom, one is license. License says, because Christ has come, I can sin all I want. That, that is bad, 
okay? The other is freedom, where you don't have to wait in the magnitude of your sin. Your sin, the consequence of your sin has been forgiven, yet the presence of sin is still there. Does that make sense? Okay. The third is that God's provision for our problem is Jesus. And this is where all God's people said, amen. Okay, this is what we call salvation. The fourth is God's story of redemption doesn't begin in a manger. It began in the garden. Okay, Jesus wasn't plan B. It has been plan A from the very beginning. What happened, what was broken in the garden has always been intended to be corrected through Christ. Okay, we say that a lot here. All right, so we love to put Jesus, though, in vulnerable positions, don't we? We like to keep him in a crib, and we like to keep him on a cross. And so what does that look like in our lives? Here's what it looks like. Um, Christmas season and Easter season are the highest attended Sundays in the church. Always are. That's not a bad thing. But it, it shows us who we are as a culture and as a people, as a community, that we would prefer Jesus to be nailed to a cross or to be swaddled in a manger. What we don't want is for him to be king. What we don't want is for him to be Lord of our lives. And so there's this, uh, this idea, C.S. Lewis helped give a lot of texture here, but a prophet, priest, and king. What is a prophet? We've been studying the Exodus, so all the people who are here regularly, they know what a prophet is, right? Prophet is, Moses was a good prophet, wasn't he? He was the one who petitioned on behalf of God's people to God, right? So, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I had that the wrong way. A prophet is the one who takes God's word and brings it to God's people, right? A priest is the other way around, where you bring the petitions of God's people to God. And a king is the one who moderates among the people. And Christ comes as the perfect priest, the perfect prophet, and the perfect king. And so what we've said here a lot is that God always keeps his promises. And so now we're going to jump into the book of Isaiah. And really the main idea here is that promises are made and promises are kept through the life of Christ. So the first promise is the promise of his birth. And this actually comes from Isaiah chapter 7. So if you want to flip over, you can see this. This is verse 14. It says this, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Do you know what Emmanuel means? God with us. You know, a lot of the world religions, it's a God above us, a God beyond us. The Christian faith is God with us because for us to be reconciled to God the Father, there must have been one who came among us. The law that was given to us throughout the Old Testament had to be fulfilled. Someone had to come fulfill the law in order that us, the brothers and sisters of Christ, can be brought near. His name shall be Emmanuel. The second promise is from Isaiah chapter 53. So I do want you to flip there. This is Isaiah 53 verses 1 through 10. This is a passage familiar to the Easter season, particularly on Good Friday. We will read this. I want us to read it now just to be reminded of the promise of Christ's death. Isaiah 53, verse 1, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. 
He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, despised and we esteemed him not. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Praise God. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So why do we read this at the beginning of Advent? Because we have to be reminded of his promises. The promise of his birth, the promise of his death. Third is the promise of salvation. For Christ to come, for him to live a perfect life, for him to die a brutal death, to be buried and to be resurrected and yet not be the Son of God means that he is not our Savior. And yet he is the Son of God, perfectly God, fully human, fully God. And so we have this promise of salvation. I was reminded of the text in Ezekiel. You don't have to go there. Some of it can be hard to find sometimes. It's okay. Bible drills for another day. Ezekiel 36, though, it'll be on the screen. You can listen to these words. Verse 22 says this, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Verse 24 says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Verse 26, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. There is a promise of salvation that we must remember in Advent. The promise of his birth, the promise of his death, the promise that his death wasn't for in vain. And then lastly, the promise that he will reign forever. 
But before we get there, when's the last time you read Ezekiel? It sounds a lot like the gospel, doesn't it? I will take your uncleanness. I will make you new. I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new spirit. What if those were the thoughts of our prayers? What if our prayers turned into this? Will you remove this heart of stone? Right? There's a vulnerability. There is a faithfulness, a fruitfulness that comes out of those prayers. So what do we see in Ezekiel? We see that he makes us clean. We see that he gives us new life and a new heart. And lastly, and most importantly, that he fills us with his spirit so that we can follow and obey. The last promise is a promise that he will reign forever. He is a good king who never loses his throne. And this is where we go to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad with when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood, will be burned as fuel for the fire. Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What a great word for us this week in our current political climate to be reminded that the government is upon the shoulders of Christ, a Savior who willingly gave up his power to be a victim, to be a sacrifice, one whose government is one of peace, peace where there will be no end. There are no term limits on the reign of Christ. Praise God for that. You don't have to vote him in, and you can't vote him out. He is a good king, worthy of our praise and adoration, worthy of our obedience and submission. So what do we hope for? We read a lot today, didn't we? There's a lot of Bible here. I don't ever apologize for that. But what do we hope for? I think there are three things, and they all have an R, and this was not on purpose. Okay? The first is that we hope for a reversal of our situation. The current state of sin, the deadness, depravity, separation, ultimately death is not an unbeating heart, but it's the lack of God's presence in your life. That is true death. And we hope for a reversal. And in Christ's return, we will have that finally and forever. The second is we hope for a restoration that leads to rejoicing. 
The people who worship the best are those who remember where they have come from. A hard, broken, brittle heart that has been made new is a heart that can't stop singing joy. That's what I know. I'm going to let you in on um, a little personal tidbit. You can judge me or not. I don't really care. Um, I really like Christmas music. I do. Uh, you can ask Riley. This has come up in every meeting that we've had when we were planning Christmas season. I really like Christmas music. Now I don't like cheesy Christmas music, right? The Hallmark movie stuff. No judgment from me either if you like that. But there is a historic texture in the Christmas hymns that we have so quickly forgotten. We've commercialized Jesus and forgotten who he is, what he has done, why he was born of a virgin, born of God. These hymns remind us of those things. You've heard some of them today. You'll hear more in the weeks to come, but I love Christmas music. I would advocate for singing some Christmas songs in July. That's a fight I have never won and probably won't. I won't give up. Christmas songs make me happy. They do. They lead me to worship like some songs just can't. There's a new song that my kids love that has really nothing to do with Jesus, but it makes them happy. And it's a good thing. Christmas season is a season of joy. That's what we are to remember in the busyness of the Christmas season. If we can't pause to find joy, we've missed it. And so I pray we've had to have these conversations as a family as we've even been just trying to schedule family nights. That December is busy. And so we've had to say no to things that we really want to say yes to so that we can also pause and rejoice. That's an extra R. Didn't mean to put it in there. So we hope for a reversal, we hope for restoration, and lastly, we hope for a ruler who lasts forever. That's who we find in Jesus, a ruler who lasts forever. You know what they say, the people who rise from the dead, who roll back the stone, you can't put him back in there. He doesn't fit in that box anymore. Now we've tried to put him in other boxes, right? We tried to keep him on the cross or keep him in the cradle. But he is a ruler who lasts forever. He is the prophet who speaks to us on God's behalf. It's what we have in his word. Why do we go to Isaiah? Because Isaiah is pointing forward. What do we need to do now? We need to point forward to his second coming. The greatest hope that you can tell your friends who are not believers in Christ is this. He's coming back. And to admit, yes, everything is not as it should be. This world is broken and it is sad. And yet our hope isn't in the brokenness of the world, but in the restoration that Christ brings in his second coming. Our salvation will be final in his return, and I long for that day. He's the prophet who speaks to us. He's the priest who speaks to God on our behalf. This is what I love about the Gospels, particularly in Jesus' interaction with his disciples. When he invites a, a certain three to follow him, he's trying to teach them to pray. This morning before the service, many of you in the room gathered for our first prayer gathering. We're trying to do these every month. I'd really want to encourage you, not so it's a highly attended event, but because I think you need it, to come to these meetings, these prayer meetings, where we dive deeply into historic Christian prayers. We prayed the Lord's Prayer. We're reading Scripture together. We're praying for the other churches in our community. We're praying for our leaders, not just in the church, but in our community and in our country. 
It was a profound time. It got loud for a minute, and that was good. And so we, Jesus has come saying, I am the priest who on your behalf takes your grievances, takes your prayers to the Father. He does that without ceasing. Here's what I know, is you don't have to plan that. You don't have to find the first Sunday of the month at 9 o'clock. You don't have to provide pastries and coffee. Every day and every moment, Christ is petitioning on your behalf to the Father. And here's the beauty of the gospel. When, when you finally stand before the Father and He looks at you, He's not seeing you. He's not seeing your sin. He's not seeing your baggage. He's not seeing the garbage that you've carried around your whole life. He sees His Son. And that's it. And when He sees His Son in you, He steps aside and He says, I have a seat for you right here at my table. That is the Christian story. He's a prophet, he's a priest, and he's also the king who rules among us for his glory and for our good. It's always for his glory, and it's always for our good. So what is hope? Hope, the Bible tells us, is belief in the things unseen. We don't have to believe, we don't have to have hope in the resurrection. There were, there were apostles who saw him. And we can take their word because it's in the word of God that Christ is risen. We can know that. So where is our hope? This Advent, I hope, my prayer is that your hope would turn to his second coming. That you would remember and rest and reflect that he has promised to return. He has promised to come back. And we like to make that a global re-entry, right, where he makes all things new. But what if it was a personal re-entry? What if he makes you new? Maybe in this season, that's what you need to be reminded of, that hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. And yes, he's concerned about the whole, but he's concerned about you. He's concerned about your family. He's concerned about your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister or your crazy uncle who you have to spend Christmas with. That's what I know of the Christian story, is that he's coming back. Adventus. We've had a one coming, and we long and we wait for the second coming. And so what do we do as the church? What do we do? Our job, and you've heard me say this if you've been around at any length of time, is we're just standing there with a big sign that says Jesus is this way. He's right over here. Come follow me. This is what Paul says. Come follow me as I follow Christ. I have so many conversations with many of you. I don't know how to share my faith. I get that. What if you just told your story? You don't have to church it up. Just tell your story. And what if your story was just this? I realized one day that I was broken. And then I read the Bible. And what I understood about brokenness is my brokenness was my sin. And then I kept reading, and I realized that my brokenness was my death. And then I kept reading, and there was this one who came, and he was born of a virgin. Merry Christmas to you. And he died. He lived the perfect life, and he died. And now my brokenness is on him, and his wholeness is on me. My holiness is not found in my effort. It's not found in my holy endeavor. It's found in Christ and in Christ alone. That is our hope. We long for the day 
where he returns. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, would you come quickly? We pray that often. So now as we close, we enter into a time of communion. In this Advent season, I pray that it would be a time where you would press into that, press into what is it in your life that Christ is going to make new? Where, what is the brokenness that he is going to heal? There are so many stories in the New Testament of hands and blindness and lameness. And What is your thing that Christ is going to make new? And as you take the bread and you dip it in the cup, would you remember that he came? He was born of a virgin, and praise God for that. He lived a sinless life. Praise God for that. He died and was buried and he rose again. And we believe and we hope for the longing of his return. And so as we enter the time of communion, remember that story. And I hope it will catapult you into a season of remembrance and a season of hopeful expectation, a longing for Christ's return. Some of our leaders will be over here um, by the book nook. And um, if you want to pray, or if you want to talk about anything, we're here for you. We love you. We care deeply uh, for, you, for you and your life and your walk with Jesus. That's the thing that we care about more than anything. So why do we read so much of the Bible? Because the Bible can do it better than we can. We believe that. But if you want to talk or pray, there'll be a handful of us over here, and we're available for you. So let's pray now. Uh, come long expected, Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this morning, uh, just the time of prayer before the service, just the energy uh, in that room was contagious, God. And I pray that as we enter into uh, not just a season of Advent, but as we enter into this week, that that fervor of prayer uh, would be our primary attention, that when we pray, we're entering into your presence. That's what Jesus has told us. And God, I just pray that you would give us a deep heart uh, for your people, for the people around us, the brokenness. Help us to be aware of that in this season. God, I thank you for your words in Isaiah, your words in Ezekiel and in the book of Romans. I pray that you would help us to remember who you are and what you're about. Help us to think often about our hope, not as some glancing blow, but as a, a permeating rest. Our hope is in the return of Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that you would come quickly, that you would make all things new, that you would make me new. You'd make each of us in this room new. We long for the day when we stand in your presence uh, in our glorification, God. We're grateful for this season of Christmas. I pray that we will celebrate well. I pray that we will sing well eat well, all in remembrance of you. And so we pray now as we go to the table, you would meet us there. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.